Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. Oh, Ryan! This is Buddy Franklin! This is the greatest showman! Got the handball off to Myers. Myers looking for the lead of Stengel. Gee, they're good. Gee, they're sharp. Randall Gazzarioli. Oh, who else? McDonald. Timber. From inside the centre square. people and other organisms good time of day all of that stuff this is americans watching the footy namely episode 89 i'm ethan castle i'm benjamin castle we're here in south san francisco california for our 17th episode of season two our round six preview the anzac round preview no thursday night footy this week but sensible when this round is five days regardless although the overlaps on Sunday remain disappointing. At least on paper, it's not like there are great games going head-to-head with each other. Having said that, I don't think we expected a couple games to be as down-to-the-wire as they were last week, so hopefully some of the action surprises us again. The round begins Friday night with the Len Hall Tribute game out in Perth, Fremantle hosting the Bulldogs, so that'll be a 6.10pm local bounce, 8.10pm for Eastern Australian viewers. In the U.S., that's 6.10 a.m. Eastern, 3.10 a.m. Pacific, and this will be on Fox Sports 2. Both these teams enter a 2-3, and three. Frio in 11th with a win over the Suns, the Bulldogs down in 14th with a loss to Port Adelaide. I guess the percentage from that loss to the Demons is still really hurting them. I mean, again, look, percentage-wise, it's early. These things can be evened out over time. Fact of the matter is, they come in with the same record. Frio looked best, Shocker when they went with pace through the corridor, as they were pretty much all of last year. As I've said, though, I thought they only did it because they couldn't try to go to the outside, which I think is stupid. I mean, look, your midfield took it to the Suns, who have a great midfield. For all their flaws, the Suns' midfield is excellent. And former Sun Will Brody was a big factor. He'll come into the 22. Two compelling contests between these sides last year, both late in the season, at Marvel Stadium in round 21, Frio won by 17 points. Rory Lobb scored four goals as Fremantle controlled the ball uncontested and lent it nearly 83% disposal efficiency. And then there was the elimination final last year. The Bulldogs let that 42-1 to in the second quarter, and they lost 73-60. to Speaking of Lobb, um, this is his return to Perth. I'm assuming the fans won't receive him super well. Justin Longmuir basically gave him the green light to say, look, I'm I'm not going to tell the fans what to do and what not to do, so look, they're going to be booze, face it. At least it's not like because of some sort of extra media hyping it up or anything like that. It's just a former player. Not like Jason Ford Francis being booed in Adelaide, which was one of the most peculiar things to happen during the Gather round. He played a damn good fourth quarter after being invisible for the first three, so he got the last laugh, but uh, Back to this Friday nighter, Sam Switkowski is going to be out at least two weeks with a calf injury, but sounds like Nat Fife isn't too far away, so maybe they'll be back around the same time. And in the Waffle should note that Neil Erasmus worked through a pretty hard tag as Peel Thunder defeated Perth pretty handily, but not sure if there's real space for him right now. Looks like Josh Bruce will be out multiple weeks with a rib injury while Bailey Smith's still out. He's got that calf injury. Baz was home all along during this trip. Bruce was sent home after the injury, but a lot of options are starting to become available again for the Bulldogs in defense. Alex Keith should be back from his concussion, and Hayden Crozier should be available with his return from a back injury. Those were both suffered against Richmond a couple weeks ago. Crozier's just had a whole run with injuries these past few years, so Hopefully there's some stability on the way for him. Fremantle are favored by two and a half, and you can see this is a real toss-up game, especially with 
there not being some certainty as to what the Bulldogs are going to be rolling with in defense. I like that Fremantle are getting greater depth contributions because the Bulldogs just don't do that shit. And hopefully Sam Sturt can keep getting time at the top level because I want him to keep working into things there, supporting Jai Emmis and the rest of the forward structure. Emmis needs to be that number one forward. And if it needs to be a trial by fire against tougher defenses, so be it. They'd be better off forward rather than getting more time in the reserves. Now, the dogs stuck with Port last week in difficult, wet conditions for a while. Cody Waitman made his season debut and scored four after working his way back from a groin injury. But how many of those top-level performances are they going to need week in and week out? The contributions are going to need to be more even, or we're going to need some sort of surprise lower down on the list. feel like we've been saying that for a year and a half now. I feel like we've been saying it for even longer, honestly. Just off mic. These teams will play twice this year. They'll be rematching round 16 at Marvel Stadium. So it should know a good deal more, especially about Frio's list by then. We've got just three games Saturday, and I actually kind of love the way the schedule works out, where it kind of just ramps up as the day goes on, gets better and better, at least on paper. I mean, there's a clear main course. I, I think the second game could be better than the first. At least there's something a little bit spicy in the first one, but less spicy because of its location. Uh, that first game, West Coast at Port Adelaide, that's at the Adelaide Oval. That'll be a game with a lot of time zones. So if you're in Adelaide, it's at 1.15 on Saturday afternoon. In Victoria and the other eastern states, 1.45. In Perth, it's 11.45 in the morning. If you're on the west coast of the United States, like we are, it'll be an 8.45 p.m. bounce on Friday. And if you're on the east coast, it's at 11.45 Friday night. Hope you can keep up with all that. Good luck. We're just fascinated by the, the time zones in Australia. I mean, it's not as ridiculous now that daylight savings is done and you don't have Queensland half an hour behind South Australia anymore. But whenever you got a South and West team playing each other, it just looks a mess on our notes. This will be a Fox Soccer Plus broadcast, by the way. Don't blame it at all for making that decision. Port enter at 3-2 and two in ninth after defeating the Bulldogs. I was surprised at how well they kicked and marked despite the conditions being so wet. I remember you read off a stat last time that Port were still majority kick. Yeah, that that was really surprising, but eventually it worked. I mean, I don't know if it was so much them working or the Bulldogs not working. Like, look, we've made it clear that we don't think either of those teams are well coached, but Port had three players step up down the stretch in that game. Those being Allier, Horn Francis, and Marshall. Um, I'm surprised Allier's not really included in the injury report here at all. I guess he's worked through his hamstring injury. The Eagles, by the way, are 1-4 after losing to Geelong there in 17th. So yeah, look at West Coast and Hawthorne to be that Harley Reed game later on. Amazingly, when these teams played last year, the Eagles entered with more wins. 1-0. to Hey, it counts. And Port beat him by 84. Yeah, so that Port injury list, I just mentioned O'Lear's not on it now. Thinking back to how Geelong did business last year, I would manage him for this game. Make sure he's right for bigger games because you should be able to handle this. I mean, I know the Eagles played pretty well down the stretch last week, but they're still not a team that I look at as that much of a threat, truthfully. You got to go to St. Kilda next and then host Essendon. And then after going to Tasmania to play North Melbourne at home. So make sure Lear's healthy for that stretch. I would not be opposed to resting him, giving Clurry or Bonner greater consideration. But it looks like their captain should be back this week on the defensive side. Yeah, so Tom Jonas and Charlie Dixon both coming off knee injuries. Jonas is more likely to play. It sounds like Dixon will be most likely out. 2020 draft pick, late draft pick, 49th overall. Ollie Lord set to debut. And it sounds like Bryn Teekle might also get in there, which could be the end for Scott Lysette. You feel like look, he has not played well and injuries have done him no favors. Missed most of last year with the badly dislocated shoulder, and isn't looking up to par on the full oval. Meanwhile, we like what we saw from Teagle out of limited time last year. Um, broken neck Bryn, as I called him after he fractured his clavicle in his first game against the Swans. That was actually a really memorable game for Port. Just kind of a lot of things clicked that game despite not having great depth. 
And I was already thinking about Lysette's long-term viability before this news came out. I guess Miss Georgianis is going to be held out for another week despite being three goals in the sample. He's only 21, so his relationship with the club could be interesting. It looks like he's a Wester. Yeah, so there could be opportunities with, with the Eagles or Dockers, interestingly enough. Georgiotis is one of the two players that I would look for the Eagles to target in trades, the other being Devin Robertson of the Lions. Start to build up that stock of Westerners again. Now, you think Port's injury situation is bad? And then there's the Eagles. They've gotten so bad that Premiership defender Will Schofield has unretired to play in the Waffle. I, I kind of love this. It's like the the nature of it seems to be like, hey, let me help a club. You you need a guy. I'm a guy. I don't think he's doing this with any hopes of, you know, relaunching his career and doing something incredible at the AFL level or at any level. And it's just like, hey, I like playing footy. You guys need someone who can play footy. I will note he is younger than Shannon Hearn. Hearn's 35. Hearn's 35 turns 36 in September. Schofield turned 34 in January. So it's not totally out of the picture. And speaking of, Bunga sounds like he's unlikely this week with General Soreness, which is a good band name or Tumblr name, actually. Noah Long could be held out as well with a slight hamstring issue. Speaking of hamstrings, Luke Shuey should be able to return from his injury. He got that one early in the Western Derby after being probably the best on ground of the first quarter, which was really upsetting and only set the tone for what was to come during that game. Unfortunately, Elijah Hewitt isn't going to be able to keep going at the top level because of an ankle injury, but Rhett Basil and Zane True could work their way into things again, so just give opportunities where you can, Adam Simpson. It's simple. Figure it out over these next couple years. Give guys multiple games in a row if they're healthy and come back in two, three years with something that's more convincing. How do you like the line on this game, Ethan? 46 and a half at first. I thought it seemed high, but weather looks good. Uh, not having dips and I feel like could maybe knock them down a peg. We'll see if that line shifts as the news about Dixon being out emerges, but uh, it hasn't so far. Maybe when a lineup's officially come out, it moves a couple points. I still think this is pretty fair. Yeah, well, that's their story, and they're sticking to it. We got our first ACT game of the year as the middle game on Saturday, as the Giants will be hosting Brisbane out at Monica Oval at 4.35 p.m. local time. So for American viewers, that's 2.35 a.m. Eastern on Saturday the 22nd, 11.35 p.m. Pacific on Friday the 21st. Go catch this on Watch AFL or Fox Soccer Plus. The real downer about this game is that the fan club won't have nearly as much to cheer about. Will they have the Tom Green fan club tent or marquee? I would hope that he actually would join them in the tent or marquee. Now, that would be such a baller move. Like, I think about this, I think about a few years ago in an exhibition game, wide receiver Steve Smith was playing for the Baltimore Ravens. Steve Smith Sr., he got ejected from the game and then just went and watched the rest of it in the suite with his family. He said it was the first time that he'd ever been able to do it during his career. So I'm hoping Tom Green does the same thing here. I don't know if he will, but it would be really funny. Like, imagine fans start passing like a giant cup snake around and Tom Green's in on that. That would be so cool. I should tweet at Padre Verdi to ask him if he's going to do it. The less jolly greenless giants will enter at two and three after beating Hawthorne. Their 12th on the ladder was really happy to see Aaron Katman debut and get a goal in the first quarter. Also, Harry Himmelberg just stood up at the end and said, I'm winning this game. And he did. It was a pretty badass ending. The Lions beat North pretty... Con the Lions convincingly beat North and enter in 8-3-2. to three and two. I wouldn't be surprised if they put on a similar beating this week. For all of Sam Taylor's efforts, the GWS defense is still quite poor and you're up against the best forward attack in the league. Who knows, though? Maybe the Giants will come in really inspired as they did when these teams first met last year. In round 11 at the Gava, GWS scored seven of the first nine goals and led by 30 multiple times late in the first quarter. The Lions eventually won that game by 14, but we left that game with a really positive impression of the influence that Mark McVeigh and his interim staff left on the club. Wasn't nearly... They didn't put up nearly as good a performance 
add Monica over last year in round 18 when Brisbane won by 40 points. That was Reese Matheson's first AFL game of the season, and the barometer only had 10 clearances. Yeah, that was like the why wasn't he playing sooner game. I, I remember that game at the Gabba where, yeah, it was GWS, got off to a great start, and eventually, you know, it was like the talent pulled away at the end, but they were in it. So Tom Green was suspended a game for a dangerous tackle on Josh Ward, by the way. Dangerous tackles are the MRO theme to start this season. They're trying to probably keep players to, to tackle kind of closer to their bodies rather than ramming them into the ground, and that's going to require some adjustment and just some regular discipline for things to change, I guess. What I like about it, though, is there's been largely consistency. Unlike, I mean, Will, Will Day would disagree. Yeah, Will Day, they went too hard on, but that's the only one where they've gone too far. Whereas, like, you know, the NFL, it's like you make eye contact with the quarterback and don't blow him a kiss. It's roughing the passer. You look at Tom Brady, the officials award him a touchdown. He's not the only one getting that treatment. That's the worst part. Well, hopefully he doesn't come back again. I, I think he's done for real. I would hope so. I like the people selling the sand from the beach or like air from Kobe's last game. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, this is at least a tangible object. Harry Perryman is healthy after recovering from a hamstring injury. He could replace Tom Green. A fellow Harry, Harry Rouston, could come into the 22 after being the, after being the sub. Likely to see Brent Daniels return after being managed. And in terms of the VFL, Xavier O'Halloran returned to action and soon enough, you'll see Lech Allier and Toby Bedford start their rehabbing there. I am really pumped at the thought of Bedford entering this group, giving him another small forward, someone who can be more of a ground mover while Toby Green still does the vertical stuff. I just want to see a full I just want to see a full campaign out of Bedford as well. I remember Allier of all the South Sudanese players was like maybe my favorite in terms of like the story and his family. I remember I'm going to butcher his name every time. Big Dilla Nuon. Nuon, I think. Big Onion. Big Onion. I think his family was pretty great too, but Lackalier, that one, that one was really neat. And I hope to be able to, I hope to be able to watch him soon. And not just because this team needs more good defenders, but because he's easy to like. Lions are favored by 20 and a half in a game where they're likely to be pretty stable on the list front. Jack Gunston is likely to return after being managed. So who do you think's most at risk there then? I mean, Darcy Fort seems to be the one people are going to, but this could also be a game where somebody gets managed. I think it's hard to manage guys after they have, you know, four or five goal performances the previous week. So maybe keep the talls in line then with Hipwood and Danaher. But Danaher's also been better when he's gotten time as a second ruck. Fort would be the most likely if nobody's managed. Not that he played poorly last week, but just it's difficult to find a spot for him. Yeah, normally I would say, yeah, give Dan her a week, manage it, manage him, but often how we played last week, it's like remember Dodgers manager Dave Roberts saying recently how, like, you know, he has his lineup laid out for the series, you know, it's like telling a guy, you're not playing Tuesday, you'll be playing Wednesday, but then if a guy hits three homers on Monday, he stays in the lineup for Tuesday. Gotta hit three, though. Well, the thing is, Fort's kicks some behinds now, so there are blemishes on his record. He could not outlast perfect Francis Evans, who I'm surprised isn't in the lineup this week, by the way, considering, you know, Fort could probably pad their record a little, you know, pad his record a little more. I mean, it would be kind of easy staff padding, but still. Yeah. So those first two games on Saturday lead up to the main event. Um, I mean, I, I really don't know what to think of this matchup because, yes, it's a grand final rematch, but also it's a very short-handed grand final rematch. Well, I know what to think. I think Tom Papley really likes celebrating when he scores. Ah, oh, shit, you're right. How did I forget to mention that? Jay, he loves a goal. I think my BT voice is actually okay. Yeah, that one wasn't great, but but I'm not going to get too worked up over it. Um, I'm going to get worked up over this game because it's an important one. This is where if Jalon can win and get up to 3-3, three and three, a lot of that bad start can be, can be put in the rearview mirror. If you had said three and three through six rounds, you know, I still would have said like, damn, we should probably be four and two, but three and three is much more livable. It would still be at that spot where I'd be thinking, you know, hey, it's it's probably going to be tough to get into such an advantageous position that you can just rest guys wherever. 
or maybe, or you'll have to be choosing between, you know, do we rest guys or do we fight for better ladder position? And I'm glad to even be thinking about that because you asked that question because ladder position matters when you're thinking about being a finals team. And I'm not saying they are one, but they certainly look much more like one than the past couple weeks. And they've got the percentage of a finals team. Yeah, I believe it's, what, the sixth best percentage, despite being in 10th on the ladder, technically? Yeah, I think it's like 119 right now. And it would have been better had they not let their foot off the gas late last week against the Eagles, not that I'm particularly bothered by them doing so. So, one of two things happens, unless we get the almighty draw. Either both teams are 3-3, three and three, or the Swans will be at 4-2 and two and sitting pretty. They're 3-2 they're and two right now, they're in 5th, coming off a win over Richmond. Good way to... Get back into shape after those back-to-back losses to the Demons in Port Adelaide. Fellow Americans, you can watch Geelong and Sydney on Fox Sports 1 early Saturday. 5.25 a.m. Eastern, 2.25 a.m. Pacific. It'll be 7.25 p.m. local time in the Pacific states of Australia. And I believe it's going to be around 6.40 p.m. when the flag ceremony starts at the Cattery. Hopefully Sam Morfoot is involved in some way. Unfortunately, I'm... Assuming they'll mostly be showing this just on 7 and not on Fox footy, which sucks because those of us who live in other countries, like mostly me, would, would love to see that. I would too. You know what I realize has become a common theme for Geelong's uh, injury lists, Ethan? The phrase medium term. Yeah, you know, first it was Jack Henry. Now it's Tyson Stengel and Reese Stanley. I totally missed the Stanley one when it happened. Well, it was in the final minutes of a game. Connor West fell on him off a of stoppage. And I remember earlier he had looked like he had gotten bagged up like a knee thing or something. But Reese had surgery on a fractured orbital and Stengel on a broken radius, I believe. So forearm bone. Jed Buse remains in concussion protocols, surprised by that. They also had Jake Kolajashny in those protocols for a long time earlier in the year. So, you know, I assume this is just he hasn't passed stuff rather than that the team is playing it safe. Do you see then Tom Atkins maybe pushing backward? I think that's very possible. I hope they do it with him rather than Isaac Smith, although I guess with Smith it would make a little more sense here to counter some of the swan speed because obviously without Joel Amarty, they're going to be playing with some pretty small forwards. And you could have Smith kind of working further back as that accelerator as that accelerator, while Brad Close probably spends more time at, while Brad Close probably spends more time in a forward pocket role. Hey, he kicked four last week. And his other four and his other four goal performance in the AFL came last year round two. It was the only time they gave up a hundred last year. Sam DeConing was out, which meant Jack Henry had to cover Buddy Franklin, which didn't work. I mean, it worked if you wanted to see the Oval invaded, but he scored four with the last being his thousandth. Zach Tui gave a guy his wallet. It's not my wallet. But uh, the the rematch made up for it. Yeah, I would say so. These teams also played a hell of a game at the SCG in 2021, where some shitty officiating late in a Tom Papley goal cost the Cats. Yeah, let me make sure. It, it it righted things after the Cats were gifted a win against the Brisbane Lions. That was a game that Sydney won by two. So this will actually be their first meeting at Geelong, believe it or not, since 2019 round 11. Bring it on. The Cats could have Gary Rowan available... I imagine Gary Rowan comes straight back in. He's eligible after his suspension, which somehow wasn't two games. Yeah, they. I think they they flipped that one with Will Day kind of kind of badly. Yeah, and I imagine Tanner Brune will also come in. He was an emergency round five. It was held over. What I would do is make him the sub. Who who would he come in for? I mean, that one that word's difficult because you're you're not moving holes out of the wing. Yeah, Rowan's one in. And I guess you got to bring in Segler as much as I'd rather see Blitzovs just handling as much of that as possible and Segler getting as little time on ground as possible because he just he just doesn't have it. You want to mention their reserves players? Uh, hey, the VFL team won again. Uh, Segler apparently played decently well in that, and then Ollie Dempsey and Mitch Nevitt could be considered as well. Yeah, the Cats completed the cat trick last weekend because AFL, VFL, and VFLW all won. The Swans will continue to be without both McCartan brothers, Dane Rampey, and Buddy Franklin, in addition to Joe Amarty having injured his hamstring and probably being out until the bye. It's all short-term for the four that were already out, but 
all difficult outs to manage against that strong forward duo of Hawkins and Cameron. I think it makes the I think it makes both of those makes both those matchups pretty difficult. I mean, could you see maybe Aaron Francis sliding back a bit because he's a more versatile tall, though he did score three goals in the reserves. I think it's more likely to see Ryan Clark being recalled, just kind of with that smaller depth being a bit more of a concern. Maybe Corey Warner goes back out then. Tom Hickey is likely to return through the reserves, by the way. Doesn't look like John Longmire is going to push him back into things super quickly. Laddams played decently well last uh, last week. Engineered a lot of clearances. Looking more and more comfortable as a first-rate ruck. I think that's one of the biggest positives from the Swans this season thus far. Wait a minute, I forgot how big Pete Laddams actually is. To me, he just doesn't look 6'8 or 202 centimeters. No, I, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, he's a little bit on the skinnier side, but he's big. Maybe that's it. 101 kilos. What is that in non-communist measurements? 223. All right, so that's not huge for someone his size. Cast favored by 12 and a half, which is a little high, if you ask me. I thought this would be like, I don't know, within a goal. Yeah, I think that's where I would put it. I mean, Swan has played well with what they had last week. Yes, Richmond did a good bit of it to themselves, as Richmond does, but lost composure without Trent Cotchin as I'll ring up again when we look toward that Anzac Eve game. These teams also play round 16 at the SCG with its wonderful camera angle. I just realized the best thing about the staying in Adelaide the next few years is that I won't have to watch a bunch of games with that SCG angle. The Mount Barker angles were a little jank, but not, you know, super low like the SCG. If they had better sightlines, I imagine that we'd actually really enjoy watching telecasts from there because it's a beautiful venue. Before we take our break, I want to say something about Anzac Day. I find it kind of funny that, like, Australia's Memorial Day is basically, you know, about one battle that didn't go very well more than 100 years ago. I think it's because it was, you know, the first one of those that was really notable in the national and international conscience. Before that, you know, there wasn't really any sort of big kind of national military identity from what I understand. So I, I get why it's why it's that day. And I think the fact that it commemorates a specific battle that was so bloody gives it extra weight, even though those who fought it are no longer alive. It's here's my take, my Seppo take. First time we've used Seppo on a show this year, I think. And that was the second. You can remember specific battles because you don't fight enough wars. You don't give people their freedom whether they want it or not. Like, the British people like their flag so much, they just gave it to people. Including you, Australia. Well, we like freedom so much that we just gave it to people. You guys should try to say it. Lest you forget. Just a reminder, you can find us on Twitter and on YouTube at Americans Footy. You can find me personally at BenjaminHK01. You can find me at Castle Media, that's Castle with a K. And you can find Brian Harambe on Instagram at CathNameGrian. He's also... Running somewhere around the house right now. We let him out recently. He was sleeping in here for a while. Now he's on the move. He'll be back. And you know what else is back? Anzac Sunday at the University of Tasmania Stadium. Hawthorne playing Adelaide there again, just like they did in a memorable game two years ago. That's right. So these teams met just once last year, a game that Hawthorne won by 32 at Marvel Stadium behind a big game for Mitch Lewis. But when we think of this matchup, we think much more of the 2021 Anzac Round Contest. Riley Philthorpe scored five straight goals on debut. Adelaide set multiple AFL records for accuracy. They had kicked 14 goals straight by halftime. They started 15 straight before kicking their first behind, and they lost by three. Last year in the Anzac Round, the Hawks were also home. They got off to a great start and then completely ran out of gas and ended up losing to Sydney by 41. Yeah, it was pretty much all in the fourth quarter that that margin ended up being worked out there. It was just kind of emblematic of a lot of Hawthorne last year, where they could put up good showings early, but didn't have the depth or the experience to run it out late. Hawthorne right now are at the bottom of the ladder after losing a two-point game to Greater Western Sydney. The Crows have climbed into seventh after three straight wins, with a really convincing defeat of Carlton to open the... Gather round. And if I imagine we won't see many changes there then for the Crows, considering how well they performed, despite Sam Barry and Josh Worrell being healthy. Maybe Worrell makes his way back in 
He's been cleared for his first game of the year after a hamstring injury delayed his season. But you got Shane McGowan and Matt Crouch waiting in the sandful among a lot of other people, Ed. They'll probably just have to bide their time. This one gets underway 1.10 p.m. on Sunday in Victoria, Tasmania, etc. 12.40 if you're in Adelaide. For those of us in the U.S., it's the normal Sunday early slot. So Saturday night for us, 8.10 p.m. Pacific time, 11 p.m. Eastern. It's on Fox Soccer Plus. Before we continue, I'd like to make an apology. Last week, during the Cats-Eagles game, I mistakenly used the AFL Cats Hawks hashtag a couple times because it's easy to get shitty bird teams confused with each other. You're excused. Speaking of that shitty bird team, um, we'll learn this week if you can play with a lacerated tongue because that's what happened to Chad Wingard. I thought he wasn't going to play at all, but I guess he hasn't been ruled out yet. Yeah, he hasn't. Honestly, he needs to pivot from this and start making his own Wingard mouthguard products. It, it seems way too obvious. Also, there's definitely some, like, Wingardium Leviosa jokes to be made. Is he able to swish and flick his tongue back into place? I don't know, just the idea of a lacerated tongue, it's, it's weird, because, like, you don't have much feeling in your tongue until you bite it, and then it hurts, so... I, I don't want to know what a lacerated tongue feels like. It's something I don't plan to ever experience. Sounds like Jack That's Good Scrimshaw might be able to go. He's returning from a toe injury. That's good, Scrimshaw. Would give them a little help defensively if they could certainly use. That's been one of this team's many weaknesses, although the defense wasn't too bad last week. Like, what do you think about it? You held GWS as a solid offensive team to 77. I think the bigger concern is that you only scored 75. Maybe that's where Max Ramsey could really help. Their midseason pick last year scored four goals in their VFL defeat of Collingwood. So, great opportunity for a debut there. The Crows are favored by 23 and a half. I think if the Hawks are able to stay in it, they'll really need to manage their personnel really smartly because it's a long ground in Launceston. It's the second longest in the AFL behind Darwin. Great to rack up those fantasy stats. By the way, the over-under for this game, off the highest of the round, tied for second highest. That's at 174.5. Uh, Power and Eagles has the highest. I, I think of this as what should be like a really high score in game, so I might have to hit that over. And I guess, what's the rationale behind the Port Eagles one being so high? Is it that it's going to be like Port just completely shitting on everything the Eagles own? It could, it could be that, or it could be like last week, you know, where at the end the Cats kind of take their foot off off the gas, that type of deal, and then the Eagles get some late ones, and the teams end up combining for like north of two hundred. I I don't know. We'll keep track of that, and we shall we'll report back on that, I guess. But, I mean, I was already leading into Carlton and St. Kilda, and uh, that's a heck of a second game to have, a heck of a national free-to-air broadcast for Channel 7 on Anzac Sunday. This will draw really well. I believe the general tickets have been sold out for this game, and they drew 43,000 last year as well when they played in round 16. So yeah, that one meeting last year was kind of one of the last hurrahs for the Saints, who won by 15. Carlton kicked 10-18. Charlie Curnow won four. Still love the Colton despite that. Tim Membry kicked four straight for the Saints, who then went on to lose five of their last seven and missed eight altogether. But this is a top four matchup this year. You actually got two full-on top four matchups this round. And uh, probably not the ones you would have expected. If you looked and this set of games at the start of the year and said two of these will be teams in the top four, you would probably pick grand final rematch and Anzac Eve. Yeah, or maybe Frio against the Dogs if you really wanted. I never thought that, that one would be there. But I thought Richmond were going to... I mean, who knows what they could be without all the injury struggles they've had, but I thought they were really set to make a return to the top four. And look, the season's far from done, but they've worked themselves into a hole. Meanwhile, the Saints have stuck at 4-1 and, and remain atop the ladder despite losing to Collingwood. And Blues are 3-1-1, one one, but they've got to rebound from just being completely outclassed by the Crows and just having ineffective movement all over the ground. Let's look over that game from last week. Their forwards were bad. The delivery to them was worse, in my opinion. I mean, yes, Harry McKay had that one where he had space and decided not to kick straight, but instead snap and wildly missed. That was an all-chaos team play, but their movement was 
predictable. They were being forced out of the middle and then were bombing kicks into the 50s, hoping for the Colmans to get there. And they couldn't. And they were outpaced all over the ground despite having a healthy midfield once again. Did they really kind of need to work back into it with a game of all the pieces being in there? I was not impressed with Matt Kennedy last week at all. So they got they got some real things to work out there in the middle, and they ought to. But they're under the pump pretty quickly here. They've got a rough stretch after this game as well. But let's just stick. But let's just stick with this one for now because uh, it's a big deal. 3:20 p.m. local start out of the docks. Going to be 1:20 a.m. Eastern on Sunday the 23rd. 10:20 p.m. Pacific. Saturday the 22nd for American viewers who can catch it on Fox Sports 2. I'm thinking this should be a hell of a crowd considering the momentum that these teams are entering with. As I mentioned, it's been sold out for general tickets. But yeah, last week, not only were the Blues forwards bad, their midfielders were also bad and their defenders were also bad. So uh, nowhere to go but up. I mean, you could go down, actually, because the way it could get worse, though, is uh, you're not going to hear the dogs barking this game. No Adam Saad. Yeah, hamstring injury there. So I, I would imagine this is the week for Alex Sincotta to come in and make his debut after another really active showing in the VFL. He worked he worked really strongly from the back. I think it was 37 disposals. I mean, Sam During could make a case as a key defender as well to support Jacob Wiedering. Heck, you could have both if McGovern's out. Right now, McGovern's listed is in, so I mean, hopefully that sticks. Mark Pittenet should play, though. Recovered from... Had an eye injury that held him out last time, but I still think Rowan Marshall's going to deal with him pretty easily. Pitnut has not been as good as he had been in prior years. Yeah, I'm thinking about still sticking with Rowan Marshall as the captain in fantasy, despite having uh, Andrew Brayshaw and Tom Libertori being in there. Or is this the week where I say, fuck it, Tim Taranto? Or Liam Baker, even? Up to the bait there. I think I picked actually a pretty good team, all things considered, with this being my first year. Without going too far on the tangents here, I don't know how guys like Toronto and Baker will match up with a Melbourne team that has a couple of huge ball getters. So I think you'd have to study. I think I'd have to look into their into their past games to really get an answer for them. I think you'd have to study like what Melbourne's opponents have done in the midfield. Because we talk so much about, you know, guys handling Clayton Oliver and stuff and how teams match up with him, but we look at how they defend him, not how teams try to attack against him. More on that in a minute. As of now, though, we're talking about the Saints. Well, they're going to get some key pieces back. They also lose a guy that you really like. Anthony Caminiti got three weeks for striking concussing Nathan Murphy. Which I, I, I think is fair. I think so, too. I, I mean, I think that the striking stuff has been pretty fair thus far this year. In past years, I think they were way too lenient on it. I remember one from Ben Brown in a VFL game that was... Was it one game with an early play? If even that. So it's... I mean, I'm not sure how they handle tribunals at the reserves level. Like, my my thing has been and will be... Be consistent, right? Well, it's just actions that don't have to do with the game, that are just deliberate, dirty actions, need to be snuffed out. There's a reason there's a line drawn between, you know, careless and intentional conduct. But yeah, Cameron Indy kicked, I believe, seven goals in his first five games... Without him, see how that affects Matthias Philippa. I think that's going to be one of the little subplots to this game that might not be getting as much attention because there's so much talk about the Blues. But, like, more, you're thinking maybe some more forward time for Filippo playing a bit deeper? Yeah, or just how does he play without Kamenetti? Can he thrive without him? I think Tim Memory being back will help a lot. He got through the reserves last week, and he'll be in an important role right away, just like he was in this contest last year. I think the captain's a more surprising inclusion, though, given what his injury was. Or actually, is it less surprising considering he fucking played through it for a quarter? Dude's a fucking mad lad. He's earned so much respect. Welcome back, Jack Steele. I'm not even sure if his collarbone's completely healed at this point. You know, before all of this, I will admit, there were times it was just like, there were a lot of guys named Jack that I couldn't really differentiate. I mean, how many are there on, on the Saints? Steele, Higgins, Bytel, Hayes. Am I missing one still? Billings. Jack Paris, though he hasn't played. So you have Steele, Billings, Hayes, Higgins, Bytel, Sinclair, Paris. Yeah, wow. That's that's a lot. But um, you stand out once you do absolutely insane shit like this. Like, that's up there with 
with Morgan Barron from the Winnipeg Jets the other night. He fell onto a dude's skate blade and had to get 75 stitches and returned to the game. I don't know if 75 is an estimate or if that's exact or how the hell that happened. I, I think it was more than 75 is what the word was. I, I This is one of those, like, I need to see more to, like, understand and get the exact details because this is the most insane shit ever. I think hockey players and footy players would get along really well. I can see it. I, I want to see it happen now. I think I want to see, you know, a lot of footy players go to NFL games in the offseason. You had Patrick Cripps going to a Patriots game and being treated really well. I want to see him at some hockey games. You, you get a couple, but not not like anywhere near the level you have with like the NBA. That too. I think it was, uh, was it Essendon that was in the studio one time for Inside the NBA? I think so. They gave him all jumpers. I know that. Saints are favored by three and a half. Would you push this line out a bit more? Or do you find this one just hard to judge with the list uncertainty? This is a really tough one. I think I'd give the slightest edge to Carlton, but I don't know. If McGovern if McGovern's out, I I can't. Let's see. I I did tip the Saints. This is such a tough one, but that's that's what you want. You want to have games where like you have no idea what's gonna happen. The weird thing for the Saints heading into this game is like, I think they're coming off the best possible loss. Where it's like, you got beat, you got beat cleanly, you have things to work on, and then somehow you made it a game at the very end, and it's like the least painful one-goal loss ever, which is like, all right, great fight. So as long as they don't get complacent out of that, and I don't think they will, and this will be your game to cover, so embrace it. I'll be taking care of the end of Hawthorne and Adelaide, and then I will be on Gold Coast and Northwatch out at Heritage Bank Stadium. Still getting used to that. I'm good with it. It's at the point now where, like, when I see HBS, I know right away what it refers to, but I still... Think of it as a metricon. Well, whatever it's called, there's a game there. It's at the normal Sunday time. So 4.40 p.m. local out in Carrara. 2.40 a.m. Eastern on the East Coast of the U.S. 11.40 p.m. Pacific still on Saturday when it starts out here in the West. It's another Fox Software Plus telecast. Gold Coast enter at 16th at 1-4 after losing by 10 to Frio out at Norwood. North enter in 13th after the loss to Brisbane. They're at 2-3. It's wild that the team that gave up north of 150, north, no pun intended, is the one I'm less disappointed with. That is fucking wild. It's more understandable, given where they are in their development as a group, that they started out well and faltered starting in the second. That said, I would like to see them not get humiliated like that anymore, except for, like, you know, against Geelong. I'm not expecting them to win a lot of games, but I'd like to see... More competitive showings. You see, a, if this were a better team than North were playing, I would consider this a trap game for some reason. It's like, you're not expecting them to put up that sort of four-quarter fight and then here they could suddenly be. I, I, it's hard to consider any game a trap game with Gold Coast as the favorite. That's a thing. Again, if this were a better team playing North, that's my point entirely. I mean, North could come out really motivated. It's going to be Todd Goldstein's 300. He'll be just the sixth 300 gamer in Kangaroo's history. Here's a weird thing. A lot of times guys get those milestone games at home. And it's like, you know, would it work in Tasmania? Would it work at Marvel? I guess, I guess the best case scenario would have been for it to be, you know, the Easter, you know, the, the Good Friday game. Yep. Good Friday was always about a Jew to begin with. What do you remember about this double up last year? Do you remember much about it at all? Well, actually, I remember the first meeting. I remember the Suns beating them up out of Darwin a convincing 62-point victory with a lot of the indigenous players leading the way. I know Tuke Miller played great that night, but it was also, you know, like Joel Jeffrey and Malcolm Roses, and it was like, that was when we started getting excited about the Suns. And that's kind of evaporated, sadly. I mean, there was also, you know, that went over the Swans, but there was, there was excitement there. And then in their finale last year, Marvel Stadium Round 23, Alex Sexton, who had barely played all year. He hadn't played since round three, came back and kicked six in another beatdown. North actually scored 47 both times they played the Suns. Gold Coast won that round 23 game by 67. And enough players played well enough in that one that Tuke Miller didn't get any votes and so didn't get the Brownlow. Thanks, David Swallow. I remember I was driving to work 
really early in the morning because I was working like a 4.30 a.m. open shift when I was, when the Brownlow count was finishing. I was really pulling for Miller and it, I was just really fucking disappointed as I pulled into my parking spot. I think I didn't watch it live and went back and watched after, but avoided spoilers. I mean, I love that it was dramatic because like the first one we watched, it was, you know, like Brisbane, L. Neal, three votes. It was just, you knew so early on, it's like, okay, Neil's got this in the bag. I actually realized when they started reading off the votes for that Suns game, oh shit, Crips has it. Because you knew you were going to leave the winner to the end. It's kind of like how, how they read stuff sometimes on Survivor, a show that I know you... You haven't talked about as much lately. Are you, like, way the hell behind now? A bit, and I'm also just not as much of a fan of what they've done since season 40. I need to start getting into Australian Survivor, though. I actually see a lot of discourse around it through our Americans Footy Twitter account. Can't say that's something I've noticed. I've seen stuff about all sorts of other things. Not not that. Guess you just gotta look for it. Sounds like Jared Witz is back in. After missing two weeks with soreness, he's been named. Levi Casbolt was managed, and he's likely to return. Not sure who's gonna make way. I'm hoping it's not Mavi or Chol again. I thought he played well enough to merit staying in. I would hope that's the case. Did you know that Jed Anderson's available? For the first time this year after getting through a hamstring injury. So maybe this will just be another case where broadcasters don't distinguish between two guys with the same last name. They've been better about that overall this year. Probably because of the day cost brothers in particular. Jed Anderson was a guy that I was actually really interested in when he went on the move. Because it was like, okay, is he going to you know still be a major ball getter? Or how's he going to fit in with... Tuke Miller and Matt Rowell and and all of them, or is it just, you know, he only had so many possessions at North because there weren't a lot of other guys, but now that his name is brought up again, your interest is returning. Yeah, I also think it seems like Luke Davies, Uniac, and uh, Jai Simpkin have been a lot better without him, although Simpkin seems like will be out a couple weeks. He hurt his hand and got subbed off against the Lions. Hugh Greenwood was the sub that night. Could be a logical replacement in the 22. Uh, the VFL team won at Sydney. Paul Curtis bagged five. Looked like Miller Bergman, Aiden Bonner, Josh Goder, and the great ground gainer Aaron Hall all had big defensive games. Speaking of big possession getters, um, Aaron Hall. I think we don't really need to say any more on that front. Not in terms of number of possessions, but meters gained. Really could be both, honestly. Suns favored by 22 and a half, which seems... Now that I think about it, I know without Simkin, they should be able to just roll over him in the midfield, but why do I have this weird feeling North could do something with this game? I really think they can, too. If they... I think they could pull off a late surprise, and I hope Todd Goldstein is the reason why. I, I think the Suns end up winning this game by, like, 10 or 11, or they just beat the crap out of them. But if the Suns lose this game... Which I'm not saying is going to happen. I think the odds of it are quite slim. If it happens, though, is Stuart Dew coaching next week? You ready for more Richmond heartbreak? That would be so funny if the new thing is just like, fire your coach before playing Richmond and then you beat them. That that would be the funniest outcome. The Suns, too, after the siren victories have both come against Richmond, too. Yeah, I guess it's amazing how quickly our opinions about Richmond have transitioned from, like, they're this great, unflappable machine of ruthless efficiency, and now it's like they just punch themselves in the dick a lot. And we're going to talk about their game next. But before we do, I do want to mention the Suns and Ruse will finish the season with each other again. That'll be out of Tasmania this time, though. Last year they finished at Marvel, and don't forget, it'll be around uh, 24, not 23. Yeah, still getting used to that. All right, we've talked about Melbourne and Richmond a bit throughout this episode. I think this Anzac Eve game is going to be really compelling watch, even if it gets out of hand, just with how relevant both these teams are for various reasons. And yeah, we think about Richmond being this, you know, really composed team in a lot of ways. But since 2018, Richmond have given away 55 more 50s than any other team. Over that window is surprising because they had some very, very successful teams in that window. If you had said, like, since the start of the 2021 season, it was way more than anyone. Sure, but from 2018, that's uh, that's surprising. 
Thank you to Daniel Horn for that stat. I'm disappointed that this game isn't going to be on regular US TV. Neither this nor the actual Anzac Day game will be. But we do at least get Monday Night Football. Now, if they really want to capture the Monday Night Football experience, see, this game starts at 7.25 local time. There was a famous Monday Night Football game that started, I believe, at 7.15 our time, although it was 8.15 local time where the game was being played. And I think that the key personality from that game needs to appear in Melbourne for this game. So I would like to officially propose the Channel 7 introduces boundary rider, Sergio Dip. You watch him now on the screen. And here he is having the time of his life. For American audiences, it'll be 5.25 a.m. Eastern, 2.25 a.m. Pacific on Monday morning, April 24th. Now, if Monday is also a day that most people take off in Australia, instead of having an overlap Sunday, there should be like an earlier game Monday. I don't know. Yeah, I think the day of is really the only the only day. It would be difficult to have two in a row, especially if it falls midweek like it does so much. I mean, I feel like a lot of people will probably tape Monday off. Like, that's usually how things work here when a big holiday's a Tuesday, but... Report back to us, I guess? Yeah, I just... I like when there's one footy at a time, and we don't quite get that. So, we do with this game, obviously. Yeah. I remember this matchup from last year because it was inaccurate, but successful Melbourne. 9-22-76. And they won. They had more than double Richmond scoring shots, but only won by 22. They kicked 3-12 in the first half, but Sam Wiedemann kicked three goals straight for the game. Richmond fell to 2-4 and four with that loss, and they could be in an even worse spot after this one. Yeah, they enter at 1-3-1. They're in 15th coming off that loss to the Swans where you know, they played that great third quarter and then first ran out of gas and also... Actually, I don't know which game first. Running out of gas or running out of leadership, but... I mean, Cochin was subbed off, I think, during part of that good patch in the third quarter, then they... Once that ended, they just really, really fell off. So so what's the plan for Cochin then? Is he going to come back in and be in the 22 the whole way? Will Dim have really learned his lesson in that regard? I would hope so. Was it like a load management thing with him? I fucking hate that term. I mean, manage this load. Some positivity on the injury front for Richmond. It's rare to find, but uh, Jaden Short's expected to play after three weeks off. So there's that. If you're looking at other potential inclusions, Jack Ross was held out of the lineup last week. He could slot in again. That might also help with a bit on the leadership front. Yes, he's only 22, but seems to play with his head on straight. I think it's going to be mostly the same group for Richmond and just continuing uncertainty with a lot of talls not being there. I mean, if Samson Ryan can end up holding on to more passes that go his way, I think good things will come for him. There are some guys that I wouldn't include. I would definitely not play Marlon Pickett after last week. I hate to say it, but it's hard to be confident in Hugo Ralph Smith after his performance. I'd love to see him in there, but I would understand if he's not. I didn't think Camden McIntosh was very good. It's just, you're so limited right now. It's it's tough. On a team that has a lot of bright spots on the younger side of the list, I can really tell how much they're missing Josh Gipkis. Meanwhile, Melbourne are in somewhat of an opposite injury situation. They've had a lot of guys out, and they may not much longer. Charlie Spargo's going to be out concussed, but it sounds like there's a possible return for Ben Brown from his back injury, Max gone from his knee injury. That's that's kind of significant. Uh, Michael Hibbard from his Achilles and Jake Lever from his ankle. You know, considering how injured Richmond's tolls are, is it crazy to think as important as gone is, as much as he's the best player, out of that group, that Jake Lever might really be the one you need right now? I think Lever's the most important regardless. Melbourne have shown a way to win without Gone. They've struggled a lot more when Lever's been out of things the past two years. Adam Tomlinson isn't able to handle those big moments. And Stephen May works so well with Lever there. A defensive tandem that really, really feed off each other. May can handle more on the ground while Lever does more in the air. And May doesn't have the edge against the taller matchup sometimes, like Lever can get. I mean, if you got Lever and Hibbard both in there, that's going to provide some really good taller support. On the VFL front, Josh Shackey kicked four goals. 
it, it was funny seeing him listed on this like possible all chaos team, even though he hasn't played an AFL game this year. He did have a couple of really, really big climbers last year and a couple of great plays as well, but he hasn't been involved this year. And then uh, James Harbs, working his way back from a personal leave, was probably their best field as the KC Demons won at Essendon. So some options there in the midfield between Harms and their now perennial sub once again, James Jordan, who got a premiership medal without ever playing in a grand final. I saw Harms posted some stuff to Instagram, just like doing normal life things. So he seems to be doing all right. Maybe, I don't know, maybe someone in his family was having a health issue or something, but he seems to be doing well. He's smiling well and showing all of his shiny teeth in him. Demons favored by 21 and a half. And when I first looked at that, I thought, that seems really high. And then I thought about it. I thought about who Richmond's missing. And I thought about, this is maybe the most composed team, sometimes too composed for their own good against one of the least and I see how this can easily favor the knees or they you know it could be a late game Richmond breakdown that lets Melbourne pull away much like the Tigers allowed Sydney to pull away last week or you could just have Richmond playing one good quarter and not contesting nearly as much for the rest of the contest like they have the past couple weeks also you remember the second quarter they had against the Bulldogs and they couldn't find that success again in the second half that said Melbourne's defense sucked last week. Obviously, Lever would help with that, but some holes got poked there. These teams will also play round 20. Don't worry, Richmond, it's at the G. They won't make you go to scary, scary Marvel. And then Tuesday football. We haven't had Tuesday football in three years, right? I think. I don't think there was any in 2021. Yeah, there were six Tuesday games in 2020, the last two being on... September 8th of 2020, around 16, so over two and a half years. We welcome back Tuesday footy with the Anzac Day match. You know, I know scheduling it's such a bitch, and it sucks for attendance, but the idea of one footy game per day and occasionally two a day, just from a consumption standpoint, is awesome. Way easier to digest. And we're all for fewer overlaps. And if you did have a Thursday contest most weeks, then it would also mean more primetime exposure for more teams and would just be better for the game on that front as well. So hopefully that happens. I imagine that if they get teams 19 and 20, it will. But it's a five day round. I'm mostly satisfied with the scheduling. We've mentioned our qualms early, but Collingwood and Essendon. Collingwood in third, Essendon in second, both teams coming in at four and one. Now, both teams are missing some key pieces this week. Both missing an important midfielder through suspension. Yeah, the Zach Merritt suspension for his dangerous tackle on Tom Sparrow was upheld, as was the Taylor Adams suspension for a dangerous tackle on Seb Ross. That Merritt one occurred quite late in the game, too, which makes it particularly damaging because Hesitant had already won that one, but they lost a piece in the final few minutes. But they will be gaining back an important piece he could feel, even with Essendon's success last week, you could feel that they were lacking at all, and Sam Wiedemann has been cleared and has exited concussion protocol, so he'll be in for his first Anzac Day clash. Still, I loved how they played and how it was very seamless, different guys sliding around. Like, you're doing this without Peter White still? I think Wiedemann being in makes it easier, therefore, to exclude Harry Jones, as much as I like him and want him to, to keep get an AFL time. It's been a struggle for him, and I know he's got a bit of an ankle complaint as well. He did look better last week. I don't know about good, but better. His floor is pretty low, though. Remember, he was, of course, the one of the main characters in their second meeting last year. Yeah, Jones had a chance to seal the game in the final minute, but hit the post for a pretty straight set shot. And, you know, you can you can blame Jones for that miss, but then also blame Essendon for not being able to get anybody back because in three kicks, Collingwood went from the goal square to the left pocket and Jamie Elliott kicked the winner on the siren. Before that, the first meeting last year, Anzac Day last year, was a inaccurate performance from Essendon that cost them as Collingwood kicked 15-3-93. Five of those goals came from Anzac medalist Jack Ginevitt. I mean, 12-10 isn't horrible, but when you compare it to 15-3, it's, you know, it's it's all relative. And Collingwood burned Essendon on rebound play then, too. They scored 56 of their 93 points 
from turnovers and 44 from the defensive half. Looking back at those Essendon injuries, they do have a defensive test as well because Brandon Zerk Thatcher also has an ankle injury. So if he can't play, do you play Nick Hind from the beginning then in more of a defensive role? I really liked what he did as a sub last week, providing that late spark and being able to play more forward, kicked two goals for the first time as a bomber. I also just don't think Hind is like as much of a defender. Then again, I don't think Mason Redmond is as much of a defender either. Yeah, and see, that's the thing. Putting both of them in there, you're really compromising your defense. I mean, the onus will, would already be on Jaden Laverde and Jordan Ridley to begin with. I liked Laverde's game last week. I wasn't, like, astonished by his play, but he was solid. I think it's it's a bigger test this week, though, especially with how great Bobby Hill's been. You know, if the Anzac medal doesn't go to a midfielder, Bobby Hill's my pick. I like that pick. I mean, the obvious pick is obviously Nick Dacos, but maybe maybe we get another great game out of Bobby Hill. I'd love it. Or do you see Jordan Degoe come back in and just dominate like he can in the midfield sometimes? He was a laid out with Gastro last week. Some sort of stomach illness was going around Collingwood, and he seemed to have caught the worst of it at the wrong time. He had been linked to Essendon for a while, so for him to come in and have a huge game here would be especially entertaining, at least from a narrative standpoint. Collingwood does have some holes to fill. Nathan Murphy got concussed on that hit from Anthony Caminini, as well as kind of like when he fell and hit the ground after. Dan McStay's going to be out at least six weeks with a ruptured finger tendon, which seems like a lot for a finger injury. I mean, if it's a, if it's a clear rupture, like it appears this one is, then makes more sense. I wonder if this might maybe his dominant hand or something. Still, it's like, I'm surprised he couldn't just like, you know, put his hand in a splint or something and, or just like tape stuff up. I mean, we saw O'Lear get stuff taped up last week. I don't think that was anywhere near severe, but. The, the difference is that's, that's probably a dislocation. Like, compared to something that's, you know, harder to fix right on the spot. So, with the talls being such an issue and with Billy Frampton also being valuable defensively, do we see Nathan Kruger get rushed back in after one VFL game to cover the ruck against Sam Draper and Andrew Phillips, or, or at least to help on that front? I mean, we're both fans of Nathan Kruger here. I mean, please do not fuck up your shoulder a third time within two years. Yeah, he's he's a quality player, and I feel like that would be a really nice, and especially without Murphy. You know, he does some of the similar physical stuff. He does have ability to play forward. He has ability to play as a defender, which would probably need to be on display here. I think if you're looking for a taller defender to replace Murphy, Trey Roscoe seems more obvious. He was listed as an emergency last week, but played well in the VFL. So options there. I still like Collingwood in this game, despite that uncertainty. And so do the betters and odds makers because the pies are favored by 14 and a half. That seems like a pretty appropriate line to put on this one. I, I have no complaints. Nick Day also won the Anzac medal. That, that's the most likely scenario for sure. But... Yeah, like, if, you, if you're picking a non-midfielder... I mean, Nick Dacos. If you're picking a non-midfielder who's not Nick Dacos, then... Or, I guess, like, a non-possession-getter guy, that would be Bobby Hill. I mean, Kyle Langford could be played in a lot of different roles. If Essendon win, I like the idea of him or hopefully future cap Darcy Parrish getting it. Parrish got it, I believe, two years ago. He actually got three um, individual game best-on-ground medals in 2021. Anzac... Uh, the Ayukin Award for Dreamtime, despite Essendon obviously losing that, and the Tom Wills medal for the country game against Javon. Speaking of the Cats, I just looked up that country game from 2021. Geelong won by 41, but he had 43 disposals, 28 contested possessions. Let's see, what else? 10 intercepts, 15 inside 50s. By ranking points, Patrick Dangerfield was number one. And Tom Hawkins kicked six. Yeah, that, that's a weird one. But when these teams match up again in the closing round, round 24, Essendon's home game with the G, that could mean a lot. I want Essendon to be in things late in the season still. I don't want this to just be a mirage. Round 24 drama is great when it doesn't involve your club. Said that many times. Well, no, you haven't. Because they're round 24. Final round. There we go. That's, that's what I meant. Final round drama. Before we go, uh, main character picks. Ethan, you got one in mind? Someone involved with Anzac Day ceremonies is going to have an awesome mustache. The mustache is what's going to get you? Yep. 
Someone's going to have a great mustache, and that's going to be the thing I remember. That's going to captivate the footy world enough for it to be the main character? Yep. All right. I'm going to keep my main character on the field this round because I didn't have success with my off-field picks lately, and also because we're not going to get a, a fan nearly as good as Mr. All Teams should merge this round. So it's time for some redemption against the Saints for Charlie Kernow. He's going to kick a big bag and help the Blues to victory. And that's going to be the talk of the round. I feel like that's such a normal thing for him. Not after his struggle last week and after kicking 1-4 against him last time out against the Saints, though. But I think I think his performance is just going to be noteworthy enough that it's going to carry throughout the week. You want me to have a more challenging pick? I'll, I'll put in a more challenging pick. I No, I think this is a challenging pick because I feel like for him to be the main character, he has to kick like at least six. He's capable of it. Or and slash or kick one super late that, you know, wins him the game. I can see it. He can take the spotlight away from a returning Tim Membry and a returning Jack Steele. It's going to be a packed Marvel Stadium, and I think he's going to, no pun or fetish intended, put his best foot forward. Sorry, Wes Welker. Someday we're going to look back on how Tim Membry plays, and we're going to eat some Tim Member berries. I would just, like, leave that as our closing line, but I feel like we should probably plug things one more time. So, uh, Brian's on Instagram at CatNamedGrian. I'm on Twitter at CastleMedia. I'm on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. We're on Twitter and YouTube at AmericansFooty. Enjoy Anzac Round. Just hopefully you'll reflect on what things around the holiday mean outside the footy and be able to balance that with just some compelling action on the Oval. Lest we forget. <laughs>